Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours, the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you from the Phoenix Business Radio X studio in Tempe, Arizona. I'm PMO Joe, and today I'm going to be your guest as we're being joined by special guest host, Jessica Kuhn. Hello. Thank you also to our sponsor, the PMO Squad. They are the premier provider of project management resources, training, and services across the United States. Visit www.thepmosquad.com to learn more about the purpose-driven PMO and all the services they provide. Uh, Before we hand it over to Jessica to take the lead on the show, also wanted to give everybody a reminder that there are two more days of free access to the PMO Trends Conference. You know, I'm frequently asked, where do I go for PMO training, right? There are so many resources out there for project managers, but not a lot for PMO leaders. And this conference has over 120 presenters from 40 different countries over 300 hours of content, all for free on PMO leadership. Uh, So it's a great opportunity. Thank you to the PMO Global Alliance and Americo Pinto for organizing and hosting this conference. Uh, You can go to pmotrends.com to register for free, take in all the content. And uh, if you happen to be interested, the Purpose Driven PMO Empowering People to Deliver Results presentation is out there from me. And I would love to get your feedback and uh, let me know what you think about it. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Jessica and you are our host today. I am. Such power. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Make sure we don't crash. No pressure. (laughs) No, I'm excited to do this. I know Joe and I had come up with this idea and it had come out of this thought, but Joe has a lot of education to share with all of us. and, And he spends so much time bringing other experts into the the field to talk that I think this is a great opportunity for us to hear from him. So thank you for being my guest. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. And, and that when that all happened, I was a guest of yours at Make-A-Wish. You were giving me a tour of the facilities and everything that you do. And we had that great conversation. So yeah. this is your idea. And I wanted to make sure you were the host so I you can make it happen. That. And I think I love it so much. I think we're going to make it be a yearly thing. So the last show of every year, we'll just come back and do this all over again. I love it. We'll get to hear your reflections. And I think one of the things that you and I have been talking a lot about is the trends that we're seeing in project management and how that's evolving the role of a project manager. So I think I'd like to start the conversation around this idea of what what does project management look like today and what is it going to be in 2020? Wow, that's that's a big question, mm-hmm. right? With lots of room to discuss. So I think project management today is um, in this world that's post-agile versus waterfall. I think we're kind of moving beyond that debate that happened over the past few years, and we're now focusing on what do we need to do to get the job done? So we're bringing in a little bit more of the soft skills into the discussion. It's not just build me a schedule, manage my budget, and deliver on time. Now we're getting into... um, What's the neuroscience behind it? What is change management and how do we use those tools to to motivate and influence others? How do we focus on business value as opposed to project success? 
And how do we look at the different way the world's evolving with freelancers and the gig economy uh, to ensure that we're getting independent workers the ability to be contributors to organizations? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, I think there's just a lot of growth that we're in the midst of this change from what an old school project manager would be into what they're going to be. Does that change from your point of view? You know, does that make old tools new tools? So when we talk about things like Kanban, do you see that kind of taking on a new role in this evolving picture of how we do our job? Yeah, I think they they used to be, I think, the primary tools, right? The technical tools used to be at the forefront. And now I think they're more supportive. Uh, But with that being supportive, we're getting a new host of what those tools could be. Um, So on the show... Earlier this year, we had Dale Richards who talked uh, about his product uh, with his company, Swattage, where they're doing polling of sponsors to get immediate feedback into the project team. Or Stereo from Nicholas Briesen, who was out of Germany on the show earlier this year, where they're sending out surveys to capture retrospectives in real time as opposed to at the end of sprints. So those sorts of tools, I think, are now in our electronic age, right? When I started as project manager, we didn't have cell phones, right? (laughs) Uh, We didn't have a lot of the tools we did. So as the tools evolve, I think it changes the uh, profession a little bit as well. And we're going towards a softer, more communicative approach. Uh, So we have to understand that. So a risk log is still a risk log and a Kanban board is still a Kanban board, but it may not be as important as how do I motivate my team to ensure that we're delivering what the value is supposed to be of the project. Yeah, you know, it's interesting at Make-A-Wish, we're doing a lot right now to continue to evolve the toolkit that we have and to be more concrete about what we use. And I think there's this tension that exists between doing things with a lot of consistency, being project to project, in lockstep with the same materials, the same picture. And that's in tension with this idea that every project merits and deserves this kind of soft approach that you're talking about where you look at it and say what's really appropriate for the team you're serving, for the constituents that are going to be involved. How do you move it to the finish line in a way that everybody feels like it's a win, not just from the perspective of what you deliver at the end, but all along the way? I think that's important that we're we're trying to evolve as a profession, right? I think you know, we're so guided by PMI in this profession that we live. And we have a new president this year, right? So Neil Prashara came on board there. We've already seen big changes within PMI, but I think we're going to see a lot more. Yeah, there's a lot to come. And I think that is going to evolve our profession um, to the point of, right, they, they're they bringing scaled agile into PMI. They're Uh, rebranding around the project economy, understanding and making it very visible to the world that the economy is driven by projects. I mean, every project manager, I think if we step back and realize that we're changing the world on every single project. Mm. So as we do that, we should expect that things like AI and machine learning and advances in technology are going to come into our profession. And if we only rely on the old tools we're going to be left behind. So since we're the leaders of projects that are changing the world, we too should be the leaders of the tools and techniques that are changing the profession. 
And I think those two can go hand in hand and the results I think could be really powerful. Yeah. You know, this is, we're talking about some things that could have big impact and obviously our teams that we lead are a big part of that. How do you see us bringing them along for that journey and and getting education, maybe not just in the traditional sense, but also in a side-by-side sense with other resources that can be brought to the table? Yeah. And I, I think this is another great aspect of the show that we've had this year. Um, for me, this show has become my go-to education path, right? I get to talk with people who are bringing new concepts to me and then hopefully to our listeners, right? But Ruth Pierce in her strength-based project management, helping understand what the strengths are, not of me, the project leader, but of our team. And having the team work together to say, I always had a problem with that guy over there. We never got along. And because of that, there's friction on the project. But if I recognize that his strengths are just different than mine, I can appreciate those strengths and leverage them better. Mm-hmm. Um, or the, some of the change management and neuroscience stuff uh, that I talked about with Barbara Troutline on the last show and Steve Fulmer earlier in the year, where we understand, are we a, a leader that works from the head, the heart, or the hands? And understanding that if I personally, I went through my assessment and I'm a heart leader, I'm a coach, but other people may be doers. They may be hands people and leveraging their strengths as doers versus my strength as a coach, we can be a more productive team. So I think when we talk about teams and how we can train and how we can educate, I think we have to start looking for industries and complementary professions to ours to give them those skills to examine strengths. It's not just the Myers-Briggs anymore. It's not strength finders anymore. While those are still important uh, tools, what other tools maybe are new to our industry that we can start leveraging? I had never heard of uh, a CQ before, right? A change intelligence score, right? Everyone knows Mm -hmm. IQ and EQ, But as project managers and team members on projects, everything we're doing is a change. So what is our change intelligence? How are we understanding how to implement change, not just because we're driving it, but people have to receive that change. So it's important to understand how to do that. So I think those complementary pieces to teams are going to make teams stronger and us as leaders, maybe not. Uh, so much project manager, but project leader over a team, motivating and influencing those team members. It's interesting. The change management piece is a, a huge part, I think, of what our team is having to address. You know, we are, we are a federated organization with 60 chapters across the country. And anytime we're building something new that's going to go into their hands, um, we have to think about that end recipient quite a bit. And so change management has become a huge part of what we do in our organization. So we use the ADCAR method. So awareness, desire, knowledge, ability, um, and reinforcement. There's, I think, a little bit, speaking, this goes back to the tension piece, but which we often manage. I'm sure everyone can agree to that. But um, there's a tension that exists between moving quickly, um, moving forward with our stakeholders at the forefront, and also being change agents and thinking through that lens as a team about their needs, the needs of our end users, and making sure we're pacing it in that way. So in, in the coming years, we're embracing that change management discipline. How do we uh, become good stewards of both entities? Well, I, you know, I reflect back on and this year was the creation of purpose-driven PMO for us, 
in some part, not in large part, because actually I discovered, I may have been the last person in the world to discover Simon Sinek and it starts with why. But I went back and listened to his his talk at a PMI chapter, uh, the Puget Sound chapter, where he talked about the golden circle. And this was the evolution of what, how, and why. And in the golden circle uh, is where you find that sweet spot. And and as I was developing the purpose-driven PMO and I was watching this and learning more about what Simon Sinek was doing with It Starts With Why, I start to realize project management historically has been how and what. And it hasn't been why. So as we become more agile with a lower A, not the discipline, or more flexible um, and understand our businesses better, we have to start incorporating the why into how we're doing projects. And as we incorporate why, the team members start to understand why we're working on the projects, not just how the project's going to run, right? Weekly meetings on Tuesdays with a status report on Friday, (laughs) and everybody gets caught up in that, and executives are going, hey, did you deliver yet? But when the team understands that we're doing that project for a purpose, and there's a reality that we can influence and change the lives of individuals on the project and outside the project, their motivation and influence levels change. And I think that's important for us as project managers to understand that because then we can be adaptive. We can be agile. We can be nimble. We can be flexible in the way we deliver. And every project doesn't have to follow the cookie cutter approach. Yeah. I read off, take it right off the shelf and make it happen. It can be more more involved and and more personally invested in in the outcome. I like that. So you you mentioned the purpose-driven PMO, and I'm curious to to hear your impressions on how resourcing in in entities like that can help teams evolve in the coming year um, and also help teams learn because I think there's skill set that comes from some of these consulting groups and groups that have different experience in the project management field that we can benefit from. Yeah, I'll I'll start with um, a story first of all, right? So early, I'm an athlete by nature. So coaches and mentors have just always been a part of my life. And I think back to the first person earlier today, I was reflecting on this because I said, hey, I'm going to be a guest on the radio show. I better be prepared. <laughs> um, and I said, you know, who is the first person I remember who ever really influenced me outside of a, a parent or an uncle or somebody like that? And uh, there was this guy, uh, Craig Baker, who was a high school kid. Uh, athlete, good-looking guy, popular guy in the neighborhood and at school. And I was eight, nine, all the kids we were hanging out were were young kids. And Craig broke his leg. Uh, And he would come over and sit on my parents' front porch and be the quarterback that all of us eight- and nine-year-olds would play football with. And at the end of the day, he would take whatever change he had in his pocket and give it to who he thought was the best player for the day. He taught, and it's weird that I, I think of this so often, but he showed me in those moments that he wasn't too big for us, that he was the, the big man on campus, but he still had time for us younger kids. And I've been able to keep in touch with him over the years. After a long period of not being in touch with him, I found him as adults and reconnected and everything. Um, and I shared with them, right, that how important that was in my life back then. And what that found in me was that there, there's this purpose to everything we do. 
right? There's this greater purpose. So Craig, by finding time to help the, the little kids in the neighborhood and make us feel important, made me recognize that that's what everybody should be doing for everybody. And if we don't understand the why, the purpose-driven aspect of everything, we don't make people feel important. We just focus on what we're doing and how we're doing it. And at the end of the year, we give them a performance review and say you did a good job or a bad job. And the reality is I think the performance review is on us as leaders letting us know that doing it that way is a bad job. Mm. We should be having debriefs, check-ins, moments throughout the year where we're evaluating and letting people know that they're just as important as we are because they're the true leaders. We just happen to have a position of authority. So the purpose-driven PMO is all about empowering people. Every project, every organization, every department, every show, every whatever it has, there's a desire and a purpose for why you're doing it. And when you empower people to go do that, you achieve the unachievable. And too often, we think as leaders, we're going to tell people what to do instead of having them show us what they can do. So as leaders, where does that start? Where, how do we, in an organization that maybe is far from achieving that kind of engagement, where, where do we start as leaders? Well, I think it's, you know, every morning you wake up, you look in the mirror and say, who do you want to be? Uh, I certainly wasn't this way for a long time in my life, right? I was uh, a very energized self-starter who wanted to go conquer the world. And I was self-centered, self-focused, not thinking of team leadership, even though I was an athlete and always part of a team. So as I got more responsibility and became a leader within organizations, I didn't yet have the wisdom and the experience to understand the impact of being a leader had on the teams I was working for. Uh, so I apologize to all those teams I led in my <laughs> early in my career. I'm sorry. But now as I've gotten older and I've gained experience and I've continued to have mentors to this day and, and coaches and whatever label we want to put on them, I'm learning from so many people every day. So I think for other leaders out there, it's a reflection as to Remember the time when you were the junior resource or when you were a team member and not a leader, and what did you want from those leaders? When you gathered around the water cooler, what did you gossip about? What did you talk about? I wish that John would do X differently. Well, guess what? You're John now, and those people are talking about you. Mm -hmm. And understand that you can change, right, as we continue to evolve and grow as, as leaders, to go back to those moments and say, I'm, today's the day I'm going to make a change and I'm going to do it with purpose and I'm going to understand how to impact others. Love it. What, um, you know, this kind of culminates a lot of different thoughts, but I think I'm curious to know what, from your point of view, is there anything in the toolkit that can be a barrier to some of the things we're talking about, you know, having more purpose-driven project management, um, enabling change management and being change agents. So what what is in our old toolkit that could create a barrier for us moving forward and in, into the new year? Yeah, I think the, you know, it's an interesting perspective on this, but I want my toolkit to be as big as it can be, right? So uh, I'm not a big tool guy. I'm not a big fix-it guy, but, you know, I've got a toolbox in my garage and 
whenever I need to go build something, if I don't have the tool, I go to Home Depot. So I, I consider Home Depot or Lowe's. I'm not trying to pick. I'm not sponsored by either. Uh, <laughs> but if they want to sponsor me, please contact me. Uh, but if if I went to like to me, Home Depot is the ultimate toolbox for a person who wants to fix things in their house. And if we only use the toolbox that we have in our garage, metaphorically speaking, as leaders, then we're missing out on everything that Home Depot has to offer. So I want my toolbox to be as big as it can be because that one-off chance that I need, that old racy chart that I had from 25 years ago, I can go find it on aisle five of my shared folder and go use it. So I don't think we need to get or kind of discard any of the tools we had. I think we should be trying to accumulate as many tools as we can and don't think that our toolbox is ever full. Right. We, we, Harold Kersner has been on the show and talked about how he's still evolving and he's probably one of the giants in our industry. To hear him say he's evolving, how could I stand on the other side of the mic and say I'm where I need to be? Right. We as leaders need to understand that the empowering people, using tools, different technologies, the changing times. Right. When I started, there wasn't email. <laughs> email didn't exist, right? We didn't have phones. We, you wrote a memo, you passed it down to the end of the row, it would go into a bin and once an hour somebody would walk around, capture the memo and bring it to the department where it was intended to be. <laughs> and you actually worked for like 59 minutes of the hour as opposed to being on your electronics for 59 minutes of the hour now and get a minute's worth of work done. I can hear the fax machine. Yeah, you, get, you would get faxes, right? I mean, my kids don't know half the tools that we used to use. So I don't want to throw away any tools. Mm -hmm. I want to keep accumulating more tools and let all of those tools provide education and empowerment to team members, which in the purpose-driven PMO, you've mentioned that, right? The other component to that is PMO is we rebrand that. It's not project management office or portfolio management office. It's purpose, measure, optimize. Mm -hmm. So at the core of it is empowering people to deliver on purpose, but then we measure and then we optimize. And it's a continuous improvement cycle that is never ending to ensure that we're achieving the result that we want with our purpose. And a lot of that comes from my sports background where sports teams are always doing this right? We all have a favorite team or teams and we root and we cheer for them, right? I'm a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. Uh, it's been a hard year. We, <laughs> we lost Antonio Brown in the offseason. Ben Roethlisberger got hurt earlier in the year. Our top running back got hurt. Our top wide receiver hurt. And guess what? The schedule kept going, right? I mean, you didn't have a choice. We couldn't fold up and stop. So they had to optimize. They brought in players that weren't on the team at the beginning of the year and asked them to perform, and they measured the results. And if they didn't work, they brought in a different player. We don't do that in our corporations. We hire somebody. We evaluate how they're doing. They don't do well, and we put them on a performance improvement plan. In the professional sports league, they remove that person, and they bring in a new person. And I'm not saying we need to go fire all our underperformers, <laughs> but the mindset is so different. We cheer for people and tell them fire X and bring in a new player. But in our own corporation, on our own teams, we don't do that. When we measure our performance, we find that industry-wide pulse of the profession trend is for a decade now. We're 55% successful on our projects. Hasn't changed in 10 plus years. You know, it's interesting. One of the things that teams, I think, do well is they use creativity in their plays, right? 
the teams that have the more creative plays are able to execute some really interesting outcomes, right? Yeah. I think of Seattle this year. Yeah. <laughs> I ask my candidates, any candidate that comes in to interview at Make-A-Wish, I always ask them what role creativity plays in project management. Um, and I think I get a lot of pretty standard answers, but I'd be curious to know in, in this evolving world, what does creativity mean in being a project manager in scenarios like that? Yeah, I, I love that question. And I'm a huge believer of creativity. Um, you know, we had uh, Roger Haskett was on earlier this year. I think he was on the same yes, show you were with on, me. Right? <laughs> and Roger's not a project manager, right? He speaks to project management organizations and others. And he's all about high energy and creativity and motivation and, and those play. items. That's And play. That's right. Mm -hmm. And the way I view this is... Um, in a couple of different ways. First is, if we continue to do what we've always done, we're going to get the same results we've always been getting, right? And again, those results based on PMI's data is not overly impressive. So one way I look at it is, if project management isn't the core competency of your organization, the business knowledge, your BA and your SMEs are the core competency, what if we outsource project management and a PMO as a service concept, just like we've done with payroll, just like we've done with our networks, our data, and hand it over the project management expertise to an organization to come in and run. That way, my organization, which hasn't been performing well in project management, can actually have a team come in and specialize in that and deliver for us. Creative solution to a problem we have today. Teach to fish, too. That's right. Um so I like to think of different ways we can go about changing how we execute on projects. And again, that's purpose-driven PMO concept. I don't care about a checklist of things we need to do to get a project done and then have a gate review to see did we get enough check marks. What I want to know is what was the purpose of why we're running the project and are we on track to achieve that? Because that's what executives want to know. So getting in the creative concepts of interacting more with the executives to achieve value as opposed to governance and auditing from a project perspective, I think is important from a creativity perspective as well. Yeah. Another area that I think we're going to need to get creative in um, and where we've seen a, a spike in tool set is remote staff. Um, can you talk a little bit about where that's headed in 2020? Yeah, and I think this ties back into the gig economy, right? Uh, so the PMO squad, we've got clients uh, across the U.S., and some of those some of our resources are in Phoenix supporting clients who are in remote locations. Again, if we're executing pro – and before I – not to just tout our horn as being the only company that does that. Lots of companies <laughs> do, right? We've worked with uh, AT&T, for instance, where AT&T project manager was in North Carolina – or rather in Boston, and the network engineer was in North Carolina, and we, the project team, were in Atlanta. That's the way the world is today, right? You don't, you no longer need to be sitting in the same office holding hands and singing kumbaya to achieve results. We can be virtual teams. And I think uh, as the world increases in the number of freelancers and independent consultants out there, uh, Catherine Halpin, right, was a guest, and she talked about her approach of helping independent consultants become more of a company and grow within their profession. I think it's important for us to recognize that I can be just as successful as remote as I can uh, in person. 
another example I think so many of us out there are comfortable with is I do my banking with USAA. I have never in my existence of 20 years with them been to a USAA branch, <laughs> right? And it's my money. It's my, it's the stuff I trust, but I have access to it remote. I can talk to people remote. I get all of their services remote and it gives me everything I need. And I think the project space, we have to be open and creative in our thinking to say that's okay with us as well. I think that's an interesting tie back to the artificial intelligence conversation um, and where we're headed from a project management point of view in terms of integrating that and making the experience of engaging a project management team more seamless. What Are there any tools you're excited about or anything you're seeing in that vertical that you think is going to be just a game changer for us? I haven't seen the, it yet, right? <laughs> it's coming, no doubt, right? I attended our SIM, I'm a member of SIM, attended our chapter meeting with Pippin, your boss. <laughs> uh, uh, last month they talked, or this month rather, we talked about artificial intelligence and we had a company present of how it's changing the world and how many transactions today occur through an artificial intelligence landscape that we don't even know it's happening. So we may call McAfee, people are familiar with it. If you contact McAfee for support and you think you're talking to a person, it's artificial intelligence, 100%, every transaction they do from a, a support desk perspective. And I think of project management and how we capture time on tasks that are common across projects and how that data could be analyzed and built to have us not rely on human estimates from project to project and start using artificial intelligence to capture that data and forecast our projects better. I haven't seen the tool yet that really has made a dent in that space, but it's coming. Right. And I think that's going to make a huge difference. It's interesting because, you know, in, in the AI space, and this doesn't just apply to our world. I think a lot of people have that subconscious fear that it's going to replace that human element. And in our world, that's so important, that communication element, that hands-on element of face-to-face -face time. I think a lot of people would argue that that's a huge benefit that we provide, and it speaks to that purpose-driven PMO piece. So how does this enable that and give us more room to be that? Yeah, if we think about the different revolutions the world's gone through, right, the Industrial Revolution and, and others, and now we've got the AI revolution coming, right? And everyone's afraid we're going to be replaced by robots. <laughs> uh, and the beauty is we, we always think that because we overvalue our own importance, right? The blacksmith that was shoeing the horse was wondering, what in the world am I going to do when there aren't going to be a horse-drawn carriages and people are driving cars? Well, guess what? We found new skills and tasks to go pursue, right? The other thing about that is project management as a profession, right? PMI has been around for 50 years. If we think back to NASA, kind of maybe the modern day project management was born. But the, the pyramids in Egypt didn't get there randomly, right? There was a project manager building the pyramids. They just showed up. <laughs> yeah, right? There were pro project management's been around since man has been around because we build, we construct, we evolve, we adapt, we change. And when we do that, we build. It's a project. So it doesn't matter the tool, whether it's human or artificial intelligence, there's still always going to be a need for the human component of communication, of emotional uh, interactions between the team, motivating and influencing others, ensuring customers are happy. Um, 
Because just as McAfee has artificial intelligence handling the support calls, they still have customer agents that ensure that people are going to buy their product. And you have to have customers to ensure that. So you have to have people there. So people will evolve as our learnings do. And I'm not too worried about are the project managers going to go away. We, we're Us and the insects will be the last ones standing when, it's, when we <laughs> no, near the no end. No robot Joe? No, there would not be a robot Joe. <laughs> there, be, there may be. I, I that know. could be an interesting, yeah. an interesting promise. Hopefully he has hair. <laughs> <laughs> you know, data is hugely important to us. I think there's a lot of promise uh, in both from an AI component uh, component, but also just holistically in terms of the way that we're evolving our message back to manage emotional feelings around a project or to help message back what's happening on a project. How is that going to drive us and propel us forward in the new year? You know, I, um, I was thinking back on, on the shows and I said, I want, what was my favorite moment from the shows this year? And, and that's a lofty find, right? Because I obviously I learn and enjoy every guest and I'm appreciative of everyone coming on. But the show I had with Elise Stevens, and and Elise uh, is from Australia, and she does an initiative every year, Women in Project Management. And two of the women that she identified, two of the 50 women she picked out in the world happened to be from Phoenix. Wow. So Linda Stanton came on and Cornelia Homewood came on. And at the end of the show, it's episode 29 at about the 49-minute mark, if anybody wants to go back and listen, I asked them, I said, you know, you've never met Elise. Here, you know, what would you say? You're, you're on the show with her right now. What would you say to her right now? And Cornelia got into a, a, a discussion or a description as to what it meant for her and what Elise has done for her career. Hmm. And I got during the show, I got kind of teary-eyed. And as I was listening back to it again today, I got a little teary-eyed. I think about it now, I'm getting a little teary-eyed. And that, to me, was all about emotion and what we as people strive to live. Data, episode 29, 49-minute mark, supports the emotion. And I think what we've done, with whether it's purpose-driven PMO or your own PM methodology, is you have to find a way to have data that's real data that can support your objectives and your vision and your purpose to be able to support your people and your emotions and your intelligence and your influence and your motivation. Don't run away from the data. Embrace the data to support what it is that you're trying to achieve because data validates what we feel. And sometimes it invalidates what we feel, but it keeps us grounded to ensure that we're speaking truth through data. Um, so for me as project leaders, where so much emotion is involved, right? Executives and leaders and stakeholders want things delivered when they want them. If we can support that emotion with data, we can actually be better project managers. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a a partner that we've been working with um, on a huge program that we're working in our organization for digital transformation. And one of the things that we've talked a lot about is piercing mythology, being able to kind of burst that bubble with information and and help people to see that maybe a gut feeling or information that they filled in a gap with from their own headspace is maybe not the reality of what's happening so that we can really drive towards that purpose. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's an interesting space to live in because people 
are, are very, I think, in some cases married to that point of view or they really feel strongly about that point of view. So it's going to be interesting to see, I think, as data evolves in this space, how it becomes better served at the table where we're all having the conversation to pierce that mythology. Yeah, I, um, you know, I've, I've been asked previously, what's my favorite project management movie? Right? And I'm <laughs> like, geez, I didn't know people had favorite project management movies, but it forced me to think about it, right? And for me, it's Moneyball. Mm. And it talks to what you were just alluding to. Major League Baseball historically was scouts reviewing players at the high school or college level and having their evaluation and their gut feel of what they're going to be when they're major leaguers. And then Moneyball, they threw that away. And so we're going to use data and analytics. And we're going to find out if this guy who's a catcher could actually be a better first baseman. And he never knew he should have been a first baseman his whole career. People are like, what? You know, all the scouts, all the old timers, like, you can't do that to baseball. You're going to ruin baseball. Well, now every major league team is doing Moneyball, right? They've change where the the players align on the field, right? The second baseman's now on the other side of the field. I mean, so data can still improve the game. And some people say, hey, that data's changed baseball. It's no longer as fun as it used to be. And me as a baseball fan, I sit back and say, I love it. Because now we can optimize, right? Purpose measure, optimize. Right. The, the purpose is to win the game. We measure by scoring runs and getting outs and ball, through balls and strikes. And now I can optimize based on data to perform better, giving me a better chance to win the game. And to me, that's what I love. Awesome. What, are, what do you think companies and leaders are going to expect from us in the coming year that's different from what they've expected from us in the past? I know we've talked about change management and being change agents, but... I think there's more there, I would think. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think it's results, right? It, it's um, as we as a society and organizations evolve, it's more and more based on results, right? It's not, hey, I like John, I like Jim, I like Sue. It's now what did John, Jim, and Sue deliver? And what tools can we as project management leaders equip them with to ensure they're delivering? How has that gotten stronger? I mean, I feel like that's, I already feel that certainly, but I think how has that changed from where it was in terms of the pressure for results? Well, I think the, I think the pressure from above hasn't changed. It's our recognition in the middle that we need to deliver to it, mm. right? We've historically presented the dashboard, right, of the stoplights of how are we doing on budget, scope, and schedule. And an executive looks at that and says, I'm trying to get 20% revenue growth this year, and I get your red, yellow screens, but how is that helping me get 20% revenue growth? We, as PMO leaders, I think have failed to provide that value up, right? We didn't speak executive speak. We were project managers who got promoted to be PMO leaders, and nobody ever trained us how to present to an executive. So more tools for PMO leaders, like the PMO Trends Conference and others, where you can get that sort of training to understand how to be a leader and speak up and manage up and get your teams to think that same way, I think is uh, where we're going to really evolve into that. Yeah, we do need to be more multilingual, I'll call it. We need to be polygots sure. in a sense of, you know, able to speak more languages than we used to. I think previously it was much more operational to strategic, but now I think it's there's a higher level of expectation to be able to speak the language of anyone you encounter, but be able to communicate the same message. So that, that is a different level of pressure, no doubt. 
Yeah, I, you know, we had um, Michael Donnelly, a, a prior guest on the show. Uh, he's now on the board of directors for VPMMA. So thank you, Michael. But he talked about being a partner of choice. So he's the PMO leader at Silicon Valley Bank. And as a PMO leader, a lot of times we walk down the halls and people scatter, right? Nobody wants to talk to us because we're the people that are failing on their projects, right? 50% success rate means 50% failure rate. What he's done a great job is getting his business partners to recognize him as a partner of choice so that they're choosing to come to him because they've been able to execute and deliver. So we have to find within our own organizations or our clients, whichever, if we're within a company or a consulting firm, how to become a partner choice. How can we ensure we're delivering value, speaking multiple languages, so that we're not just thinking about our own interest, but about the interest of who the end customer is? Awesome. Speaking of that, I think as we're evolving in the new year, there's going to be change not just for us, right? There's going to be change for our end constituencies. Do you think that evolving them and bringing them along for that ride is more about showing the value through these new methods and, and approaches? Or do you think it's about education in advance or, or a hybrid of the two? Probably a hybrid of the two, right? Because those constituents are also going to be the people who bring us AI. They're going to be people that bring us the next invention that's out there. We'd happen to be the person that leading the project for them, right? So we're hand in hand with innovation with them but we can't just be their servant. We have to be their guide uh, and be the Sherpa that's going to take them up the project management mountain to show them at the top is success. So our tools that we can provide for them can fit into their business world outside of a project as well. And they may be able to use a RACI, for instance, in a project, non-project setting. Um, they may be able to use a communication plan in a non-project setting. So we have tools in our toolbox that can be used outside of project settings. And the more tools they have in their business environment, the more they'll understand how we operate. Because right now I think we speak project and they speak business. And what we have to understand is that we're really trying to speak the same language. And we have to stop using terms like WBS and critical path. For them, critical path means it's important. For us, it means it's the shortest duration on a project schedule. Well, we can we can make critical path mean important too, right? We can we can <laughs> yes, follow we can. that same language with them. So we have to understand what business is trying to convey and communicate with them in a way that's going to help them become partners with us, that we're partners with them. You know, if I take a step back from all of the great knowledge that you've shared today, I, I see this picture of more open doors from a project management point of view. So meaning we're more side by side with a broader array of constituents within our organizations than we've ever been historically. Do you think those doors will open willingly or do you think there's a lot of not persuasion maybe is the wrong word, but more engagement that that's going to require for us to really get into those doors and, and create that kind of matrixed picture of what project management can do for an organization? Yeah, I think we're going to have to work hard, right? Those doors are closed today, and, and we've got to get out there and work for it. We're carrying a lot of baggage, right? The project management has often been thought of as a cost center in organizations, and in times of uh, reduced sales and economic pressures, they cut PMO and project management resourcing. 
at the same time, they still expect that their initiatives get driven forward and accidental project managers are now leading those projects, doing a bad job, and project management get to black eye. Right? So there's this trend and this cycle of whether or not we're running projects or an accidental PM is running them that we're – and stats, use data, 55% success rate. We're not doing that great a job as we could be. So we have to overcome all of that baggage. And we have to help organizations understand what are we going to do that's going to be different, that's going to make us become a trusted partner? What are we going to do differently that they're going to want to come to us as opposed to always seeking them out? Because when we go seek them out, door gets closed. Yes, We have to start drawing them to us. And if we keep doing what we've always done, we're going to fail, right? So um, just simple things, creative things of brown bag lunches where we're taking their staff and inviting them and we're training them on project management concepts, right? Once a month, have a brown bag lunch, talk about a racy chart and invite people to come along. And all of a sudden, people start talking and using terms that you did, and that'll funnel its way up through the organization. I really love that idea. It gives some empowerment back to those teams too, because I think in some cases that lack of trust relates to that involvement that we have, that oversight that we have. And, and I think the trust that's built in a conversation that says you're a part of this process. Um, there's a reason for this process. There's um, a purpose that serves you as much as that serves the broader organization to your point about purpose-driven PMO. I think being able to have them side by side for that conversation and empowering them with tools that we're very familiar with can be as powerful as us demonstrating it in what we do every day. Yeah. And and when I talk about purpose, um, I always talk it, about it in lowercase p and uppercase p. So the purpose of the show today, lowercase p, is for me to chat about the topics you're interviewing me about, right? <laughs> the uppercase P is my own personal purpose. The reason I actually do this show is to empower people to deliver results. So everything I do in my life now is to empower people. That's my purpose. That's the capital P. The lowercase P conducted radio show interview. You can, you can have both. And in today's project management world, we only live at the lower P level. Yeah. What we want to be able to do is every one of those executives who has a door closed, we need to let them know that we understand the big P. And we want to be a change agent to help them achieve the big P. So we want to invite them out to a lunch and talk about the mission and vision and strategy and objectives of the organization this year because we're going to drive that change for them. We're, we're running their initiatives. And oftentimes it's a status report up. I want it to be a status report together. And by partnering with them and understanding that we're both working on the same P with a big P, we can use a different lowercase P to achieve the objectives and the day-to-day -day initiatives, but we're both on the same team trying to get the same big P. And that's the, the magic of the purpose-driven PMO is you can differentiate and work at both levels. I'm very excited to take that little P, big P back to my team and talk through what they think that is for themselves and for the organization, get a reflection on whether or not we're all aligned. I think that's a really great exercise. So let's fast forward to January 1. We land. It's January 1, 2020. It's a new year. Toasts all around. Whole new fresh start. What do we do first? What do we do first in our organizations to adapt to some of these things we've been talking about today? 
Well, I, I'm going to take a, a cue from my guests that I've had on the show. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to do nothing. We're going to we're going to have a moment of silence and say goodbye to 2019. <laughs> I like that. And we're going to identify what we're going to change for 2020. Right. We can't talk about change management on our projects and not have change management be part of us. And if we're going to do that, we have to reflect about how we're going to provide value. Right. I asked Dr. Kirsner, I said, how do we measure project success today? If it's not scope, schedule and budget, how do we do it? And he said, it's simple. It's business value. Are we providing value or not? That's what we have to do and, and make the change necessary to ensure we're going to provide value. and then document and make visual management become part of our life to ensure that our teams understand the big P. It's on the walls. It's on a screensaver. It's in an email. And we're doing actions to support those visuals to be able to say, the reason we're running a project today is to achieve what? It's not to implement a CRM system. It's to improve sales 20%. It's to change that thinking within the teams. And um, those moments of reflection in that first minute to wipe away the old and start thinking about the new, your teams aren't going to get there if you're not there. Yeah. So you're going to have to make that change personally. And that's the first thing I'm going to do for because, I listen, I got change to make as well. Yeah. Some New Year's resolution for all of the project managers out there. So. Well, and, and with New Year's resolution, I talk about this in, in my uh, – presentations. How many New Year's resolutions were in December? Show of hands for everybody listening. How many of you still are holding on to the New Year's resolution you made last January? And I bet the percentages are less than 1%. No comment. Yeah. <laughs> but let's, let's flip the switch. Say your new, my New Year's resolution last year was to lose weight, right? So I well, when I say last year, it was this year, right? Right, right. Uh, I've gained weight, right? There was no purpose for me to lose weight. I just wanted to be in better shape. But had I gone for my physical in February and they came back to me and said, Joe, you're a little overweight and you have type 2 diabetes. And if you don't correct that, you're going to have some major health problems. How old are your kids? Well, my oldest is 16. Well, do you want to see him graduate high school? Do you want to see your daughter get married and walk her down the aisle? If that had been my purpose, to correct those things, to have a capital P of living my life to support my family, I would have lost weight this year because I, I didn't attach my New Year's resolution to purpose. It failed, just like everything else we do in life. So to me, that's the other thing, attach purpose. So in our in our world, taking that very powerful visual and bringing it into our project management space, um, there's there's making the commitment to move forward with purpose, and then there's living that purpose. And so, how along the way, as the as we move into this cultural change within our organizations and put purpose first, how do we hold ourselves and the organization accountable to that purpose and keep them? Keep their eyes on that prize throughout. It, it's not easy. I'll tell you, that. I mean, because it, to me, it's your personal life as well as your professional life. And, and I struggle in both because I'm human, right? I have, I have challenges that I have to overcome as well. But I recognize that and I'll admit that and I'll talk to that. So the thing for me is the debrief. 
it's the most important, powerful tool in the purpose-driven PMO that's utilized the least, I think, within PMOs today. We save lessons learned and retrospectives to the end, to the conclusion of something. And we don't usually do them in one-on-one sessions. We do them as sprints or project sessions. And I'll go back to, again, we all have moments in time where powerful things happen to us. I was watching a, a speaker, a presenter, who's a former Blue Angel, talking about after every flight, all of the people, it's a practice flight or whether it's at a show, they collect together and they leave their rank at the door. They walk in and say, I'm glad to be here. Here's what I did wrong today. Not what you did wrong today. It's what I did wrong mm-hmm. today. And they go around the room of every pilot and they talk about that and they say, we're going to make the next practice or the next show. It's going to be better. And we don't do that. right? Within corporations, we think about once, maybe twice a year, we meet with our staff and talk about performance evaluations and what they could do better. In the debrief within the purpose-driven PMO, it's a recurring weekly meeting where it doesn't have to be an hour. It can be a 10-minute meeting where you're going to come in and the expectation is you're not going to tell somebody what they did wrong. They're going to come in to you and tell you what they did wrong. And then you're going to tell them what you did wrong. And collectively, you're now going to find a way to make improvement. And that debrief becomes important. That's how you can make purpose become sticky by self-identifying and self-acknowledging what you're not doing to achieve purpose on a consistent, regular basis and work with your team to make that be evident and visual and repeatable. So much more valuable, I think, and in line with the psychology of what we've talked about around project management to catch change in the moment. So I appreciate that. Um, I have certainly learned a ton. I have I have a big question for you that I think is important to everyone that's listening, which oh is, boy. are you project managing your holidays? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> well, it's an interesting year for us in the Puzz House. We had earlier this year, my mother-in-law had passed away. And my father-in-law was by himself in Florida. Uh, all his children, one, his daughter, my wife is here in Arizona. One son's in Connecticut. Another son is up in New York. And he said, I'm just going to stay here in, in Florida and, and be down here with my friends. Um, and after a few months, he said, you know, I'm, I'm getting kind of lonely. I don't think I want to stay here. Sorry. And we had exchanged, you know, told him, you're welcome to come here with us. I don't know if you want to live with us permanently, but you can move in with us until you find a place to live. Uh, one of my wife's other brothers is on his way out to Phoenix. He'll be moving out here as well. Uh, so a lot of the project management is uh, kind of on his move to Arizona, right? You know, get the car delivered, get the goods delivered, get him delivered, go find the house, work with the realtor, understand the taxes, get a new driver's license, all of those things. Again, this is why project management will never die because all everything we do we organize it, we plan it, we execute on it, we measure how well did we do, we optimize, and we do it all over again and do it better next time, um, right? I'm, I'm going to go to DMV and register in person. Well, oh, you can do that online. I measured. It took me two hours versus it took me 15 minutes. I optimized <laughs> next year. I go to DMV. I do it online. Uh, so, yeah, the holiday planning for us in the Puzz House this year is a lot about the move for my father-in-law here locally. And then, you know, at sometimes you have to let project management go and just have fun and just enjoy the people you're with and the time of year you're with and 
relax. Embrace the unexpected, too, in some cases. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> Bad weather and travel. Yeah. So we might get a, a rainstorm or something hit us here in Phoenix. Or it, it might get <laughs> a high of 50, right? It's like, oh, no, what are we going to do? Awesome. Well, I am very, very grateful to have been uh, here with Joe and uh, had the chance to pick his brain and learn quite a bit. So thank you for allowing me to jump in and be the actual, the, the other PMO, Joe, PMO Jessica. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to next year. If, if you're open to it, you can, you know, I said, I'm going to do this every year. If you want to be the guest host every year, come back. I, I, I think it was great. I appreciate that. I'm excited. Um, you know, and I want to take a moment, obviously it's the end of the year and thank all of the guests that we've had on the show. I don't want to read every name, but I've, you've become my teacher this year. Uh, the guests have given me uh, more than I could have ever asked for. Some of them, it's books that they've provided. Some of them, it's been words of wisdom. Uh, others have been words of encouragement to tell me to keep going, and certainly our listeners as well. Um, this show isn't just me sitting behind a mic doing things. It's a lot of people that are making things happen. So a special thank you to Karen Nowicki. Give me a moment. Karen's dealing with some personal stuff right now. But Thank you to her because I wouldn't have the show if it wasn't for her. Also, thank you to Kendra Maples, who has been a fill-in the past few months, and she's been awesome to work with. And Judy Umless and everybody at IIL, you've been a tremendous partner to VPMMA and giving us the opportunity to be a part of IPM Day this year was fantastic, so thank you for that. Americo Pinto and the PMO Global Alliance, Thank you for the opportunity to be a judge in the PMO Global Awards as well as a participant in the PMO Trends Conference. Jessica, thank you so much for being my host today. That was awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you to all of our mentors within VPMMA. They're all volunteers. They support a group uh, of active duty veterans and military spouses who are seeking careers in project management, and they're just looking for a little help. And all of those mentors, what you do is very impactful. So thank you so much for, for doing that. The board of directors for VPMMA and Eric Dockwright, my co-founder, uh, thank you to all of you. What you're doing is changing lives on a daily basis. I strive one day that we can be as recognizable as Make-A-Wish and what they do uh, to help uh, so thank you for all of them. And of course, my guests, uh, again, thank you for your time and, and being a part of this uh, great experiment as we evolve into season three next year. Our first show next year will be January 2nd. Uh, we're going to be back the day after New Year, so we'll see how that goes. Hopefully we're in good <laughs> shape. Uh, so to everybody, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy New Year. Enjoy your holidays. And remember uh, that these shows are recorded, so subscribe to Project Management Office Hours and listen to uh, the shows and continue to provide your feedback. Lastly, thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Squad, and earlier this year, PM Master Prep. Thank you, uh, Scott Payne, for your partnership. So that's it. Office Hours are closed for this year. Season 2 is a wrap. It's in the books. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours.